the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. A show dedicated to giving your retirement a show that I honestly want to say I'm going to work harder at in 2016 than I did 2015. And if there's anything that you think uh, I could do better, let me know. It's Rob at RobBlackShow.com. It's Rob at RobBlackShow.com. Stock market couldn't hold charge on Monday. Ended the last day of November lower with losses, about four-tenths of a percent in each of the major indices. On the first day of December, we're expected to be a little more positive. We'll see if that holds. You know, sometimes we get that bullish open, sometimes we get that bearish close, and uh, you see professionals come in and they're like, yeah, we're going to take some money off the table and see what develops. Um, so for now, though, participants, players, investors, wannabes who are getting a charge and I thought that the first day of the month will bring new money to the market. A lot of people have 401ks and, you know, they do their investments on the, you know, first and third paycheck and there's things along those lines. Um, you know, mutual funds rebalancing to make them look smart last month or last quarter on the last day of last month and resetting it up for where it goes today. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you, you want to talk about, we can talk about. You know, Amazon.com. Um, they should have a, a, a cute catch, right? Amazon.com. It's just not, it's not, it's, I'm pushing it. That, that's better. So Amazon gadget sales more than triple over the Thanksgiving weekend. If you want to be cruel, get your kids a Kindle instead of an iPad. It's considered child abuse in four states at this point in time to give them a Kindle and tell them it's an iPad. Amazon said sales of its electronic gadgets more than tripled over the Thanksgiving weekend. Sales of the 7-inch tablet were more than tripled, while the Fire TV set-top box sold six times more than last year. Um, Amazon's one of those plays that we're going to look back on and go, how did they do on Black Friday? Um, so the corporate news... 
this time of the year is t- a lot tied towards, in my book, a lot tied towards uh, retail. Barclays raised its price target on Amazon to 850 buckaroos. It's currently at 671 And I'll be honest with you, uh, it's a momentum stock. It's not a valuation stock. It's a momentum stock. It's like when you meet, go back to your 20s, and you meet someone at a bar or at a club, and they're just like a great dancer, and they're so much fun. But when you talk to them, they're just not terribly smart and impressive. You're like, I can't take this one home to mom. But until the momentum ends, I'm going to ride it for what it's worth. It's an e-ticket, so to speak, at Disney. Um, let's have fun. Um, and that's okay. Sometimes your relationship be, you know, fun and what have you. And they don't always have to be serious and lead to marriage and what have you. Same thing with stocks. Um, I don't think Amazon, anyone could look at it and go, um, this makes a lot of sense. But then again, like, you live in a world where... Amazon has a very, very high valuation. That's what I'm trying to get at. Maybe I'm not saying it enough or often enough, but when you compare them to other stocks, it's it's too sexy. You know, Drop Dead Fred, I'm too sexy for my shirt. Too sexy for my shirt. They got a PE of 961. That's O.J. Simpson. It doesn't make sense. If it does not fit, you must acquit. And you're like, how do you have that high of a PE? They're not trying to be profitable, period. Um, it's like, again, that 20-something who's like, I'm going to go to the gym three to four hours a day instead of going to college. It is what it is. You're going to look pretty good if you go to the gym three to four hours a day. Um, in my world I live in, you could also buy Krispy Kreme donuts. Krispy Kreme donuts. I know you're saying, I like your world, Mr. Black. I'd like that with sprinkles on it. Krispy Kreme a little bit of dough. Oh, no, a little bit of batter thrown in a deep fried jacuzzi of love. Analysts are looking at it at this point in time because it's had a bad year. That's what a lot of people do when it comes to investing. Um, market's made up of winners and losers. And if you bought the stock at the beginning of the year, it's 20 bucks, 18 bucks. It's currently at $14. I know you're saying, hold on, are we talking Krispy Kreme? Yeah. So, can there be some earnings per share upside? Consensus for expectations, 19 cents on revenue of 133 million. Uh, results are coming up in early December. Analysts have an outperform on it, 22 bucks, 23 times 2017 estimates, 25% discount to peers. Checks in their third quarter same store sales, growth in line, uh, slightly above consensus expectations. So, it looks like the quarter's going well. There's been an uptick in franchisee unit growth, which is underappreciated. There's been domestic franchise development guidances for opening 20 stores in 2016. Initial guidance was for 10 to 20, so they're upping it. Now, how many donut stores do we need in the world? What the world needs now is not another donut store, right? Are you with me? You thought I was going to say love, sweet love. No, no. Now. Now. Um, so there's a store called Happy Donut. And I was like, did you just run out of names? Dunkin' Donuts is a good one. Happy Donut, not so good. I want to open a store right next to Happy Donut and call it Sad Donut. 
because I think more people would come in to my donut store than the Happy Donut store. I'm just saying. So the company's also doing a buyback, 1.5 million shares. Um, and they're buying it back as the stock falls, and that's kind of the upside. Is it hot and sexy? No. Is it a trade I to start looking at? Yeah. Is it something that you should say, I'm going to make, you know, I'm going to put my, my baby's food money into this? No, you should never put your baby food money into it. And I know, I know you're saying, give me a stock that I can put my baby food money into. I'm not going to give you a stock to put baby food money into. Apple. No, I didn't say that. You know, I'm kidding. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Elsewhere out there, uh, manufacturing report and purchasing managers reading around the globe have been digested in a mostly positive fashion. A lot of people are thinking 2016 is the year where the bull market doesn't keep going up, where China hurts us. There's a PMI reading out of China, which slipped to a 49.6 reading. Anything under 50, bad. Boo. 49.6, just barely under 50. Yay. Well, okay. China's one of those countries that they're not going to open the kimono, so to speak, and say, here's all my flaws. Uh, some people like that in a company. And some people go like, so as a country goes, we'd like to see their flaws, but what they, they'll do if they see contraction out of um, their manufacturing index, they'll probably throw, so go fire up the printing presses, let's print some more money and send them orders for something. And they'll get their numbers to where they want. And of course, they'll dilute their cash value. 800-516-1220 each calls on the air. Happy day to you. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. 86 years, I tell you, of history point to year-end rally coming via Santa Claus. SP 500 has struggled to make meaningful gains this year. It has not been like, you know, wonderful. It hasn't been like, I feel so rich because the market goes up every day. I don't know what to do with my money. There's some uncertainty this year tied towards the Fed rate hike and what it's going to do to the market. December is the only month since 1928 that has never posted the worst performance of the year. What that shows is there doesn't seem to be extreme downside in December. That's historically. Now, history doesn't always repeat itself, but you can take a look at it and start there. 
Um, the odds point to a favorable finale, in my opinion. The expectation the Fed will finally start its rate-tightening program. It's going to unlift that veil of uncertainty. Whether you like it or not, that's the way I see it. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Let's bring in CFP, Chad Burton. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton with NewFocusFinancial.com. That's NewFocusFinancial.com. Let's talk retirement plan beneficiary mistakes. Isn't it just beneficiary mistakes overall, like insurance beneficiary mistakes, retirement plan beneficiary mistakes, or is there something unique to retirement plans that we need to know? Well, the, the main thing to know is that life insurance annuities and IRAs, 401ks, the beneficiary designation that you have overrides any will or trust that you've done. And... So the, the issue with especially retirement accounts, if you have a very wealthy person that faces estate taxes and they make beneficiary mistakes, their IRAs can be taxed at 70% plus because they have state taxes. They have federal taxes, um, and then they have estate taxes on top of the federal and state taxes. So it can really get nailed if you do it the wrong way. So the biggest issue is not having a beneficiary at all or naming your estate. Um, if you pass away under the age of 70 and a half, it forces your heirs to pay the taxes within five years. But if you've named them directly, they can stretch the tax issue over their lifetime and let the account continue to actually grow and just take out a little bit each year or more if they want to, but they have the flexibility of not having to pay Uncle Sam. And if you pay it out, a larger retirement account over five years, it, it increases the tax bracket to the higher levels, and you pay so much more to the feds if you would have been able to stretch it out over your lifetime. So naming your estate or no beneficiary at all, probably the two biggest mistakes that I see out there. So no beneficiary at all is a problem. What if you have no beneficiaries? What if you like you just don't care? You're single. Got a cat, got a dog. <laughs> you can create a pet trust. God, I those people drive me crazy. It's a little odd, huh? Yeah. Um, they own a home, Helmsley? She left money to her cat or her dog, a lot of money, like millions. Yeah, I'd be surprised in some of the state planning attorneys like Michelle Lerman that we have on quite often. She's had to do pet trusts before. And people talk about them, and, and you go through a conversation with them. They say, my girls, my my boys, or whatever, and they're talking about their animals, yeah. not their children. Isn't that just a big F you to humanity when you leave egregious amounts of money to an animal? Yeah, I guess it depends on what happens after the animal dies, too. Yeah. Well, that's a mistake that people can make is – you leave retirement accounts to a trust, and the trust names a charity as a beneficiary in addition to the kids. And this is where education to your trustee comes into play because if certain deadlines aren't met, by September of the following year after death, the charity makes sure you have to get that paid out and done and over with and the paperwork submitted for the other kids by October in order to do these stretch IRAs. So a charity can actually complicate the IRA, yet... If you're trying to benefit your church or your charity, the best asset to leave them is a portion of your retirement account because they will never pay taxes on that money. Nobody ever will. So, But you have to incorporate your trust, your beneficiary designations and everything with that idea that you want to leave money to charity and to kids. Okay. Lots of complications in that, right? Yeah, you know, I've had a family member recently been named to a uh, trustee of a trust. Mm-hmm executor of the will, kind of, you know, the overseer of the the wealth. Yep. That's a stressful position. It's horrible. People act like, hey, I'm going to name you as my executor or my trustee, and, like, it's a great honor. And all of a sudden, you're dealing with three kids that don't get along, mounds and mounds of paperwork, going through the person's desk, seeing where assets are aren't anymore. People looking for advances. Yeah. And if you don't have that person, I mean, oftentimes there are kids that don't get along, 
Um, oftentimes naming a professional fiduciary to yep. handle the estate for a fee is a better idea. Um, and simplifying things. You might have your trust, but you still need a, a separate letter that says what, you know, for certain items, um, jewelry, your autos, um, things like that. Um, and so that way you can have a separate letter with your trust rather than a paying attorney every time you want to change your mind. One of the problems with this particular scenario, the executor, um, she, so the parents basically gave $200,000 to one daughter, made the other daughter the executor with a note that says you get $200,000 upon death, but they gave $200,000 to their one daughter so she go out and buy a house while the other daughter's waiting for the money. Let's say she waits 20, 30 years. Does she get 5% interest every year? Does she get... And then the original people, their house goes, let's say it goes bankrupt and the house, like... They, so they still uh, want money because their house they bought in 2007 yeah. is now worthless or upside down. It, and that's how it can get messy very fast. Yeah. And then you get spouses going like, but don't we get interest? Or can I get a lump sum now because I want to buy a truck? Um, executor is not a sexy position. No, it's, so. it's tough. And then, you know, 55% of marriages end in divorce. People have to update their estate plans after divorce. You've seen numerous stories where people die and money goes to the ex-spouse all the time. Um, and prenups. In ERISA law, if you're doing a second marriage, the prenup doesn't really help with your retirement plan. You have to have a spousal waiver after the fact. All fun topics at CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Millennials, you know them. They're the young generation that we hear so much about. I care about them in large part because they tend to spend money a lot freer than anyone over 35. They're certainly making their presence known in the workforce on Wall Street. Um, they're just kind of like everyone else, though. You know, An investor's age doesn't really drive whether or not you should invest differently. I think it's your appetite for risk that should invest, make your decisions ever so slightly different. If you can't stand risk, you shouldn't be in emerging markets. If you can't stand uh, volatility, you shouldn't be in small cap companies. If, you know, if you want to get market performance or below market performance, go safer. Um, there's ways to do it. Young investors can tolerate more risk, though, and that's why it drives me crazy that um, we keep hearing study after study saying that young people, you know, they're afraid to invest. Um, millennials are more comfortable to invest online, um, but they don't want to do a lot of researching. So they don't want to, like, focus their life on that. But then again, they also don't want to make costly mistakes, so they tend to freeze up a little bit more. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Coming up, we're going to talk market, economy, world. we talk with Patrick Ayer from Briefing.com. I'm Rob Black. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. 
Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Bring in the one, the only chief market analyst for briefing.com. How are you today? Hey, Rob. I'm doing well. Thanks. Yourself? Good. A little tired, a little hungover from uh, Thanksgiving. So it's Mr. Patrick O'Hare. I dropped your name for a second. But anyway, <laughs> you have a good holiday? I did. Thank you. Yeah, it was nice to uh, take a little break and now just get back into the swing of things. Uh and then looking ahead to the next holiday. And you don't need to do anything at this point in time because the Santa Claus rallies come, and we know it, history says it, so you can just sit behind your desk and pretend to be typing. <laughs> well, I wish you would speak to uh, to my employer because uh, I'd like to do just that, but you never know with this market. Uh, it's had some crazy episodes, and um, and of course, what could be unique this time of year or this time around as it relates to the Santa Claus rally is that we will actually have to be contending with uh, a possible interest rate uh, increase from the Federal Reserve. Um, haven't seen that, obviously, in, in a long time. Uh, and we'll just have to see if, uh, you know, it, it's been well advertised that it's likely to happen. Um, but, um, you know, I think we have to get a sense of, how comfortable the market really is going to be now with this having hit this inflection point, um, you know, whether it can deal with that and continue to accept this idea that the Fed will be gradual in its approach to raising rates in 2016, uh, or if, you know, if things start to pick up, uh, like everyone, or not everyone, but a lot of people are, are hoping and expecting they will, perhaps the Fed won't have the uh, luxury of, of moving so gradually as, uh, as they like to believe right now. With that said, don't you think the whole Fed rate thing – won't you be thrilled when it, they do finally raise interest rates? Because it feels like you're not Paul Revere, but you and I play Paul Revere and say interest rate hikes are coming, interest rate hikes are coming, and it'll be nice to get it over with at some point. Yeah, I, you know, there's, there's, there's some of that feeling. I, I, I get it. Um, Okay. The thing I continue to struggle with, though, is is recognizing that um, with interest rates having been as low as they've been for as long as they've been, um, you know, that we haven't really, you know, hit that level of escape velocity. Uh, we're still not really seeing the uh, really convincing evidence on the inflation side of the mandate anyway uh, that the Fed, you know, can pull this trigger without any repercussions. Um, you know, if you just take a step back and you look at, um, you know, the main narrative about how the drop in, you know, uh, uh, oil prices, for instance, was going to be a great boon for consumer spending. Um, haven't really seen that, you know. Um, this idea that higher interest rates will promote greater levels of savings. Okay, well, that's, that's good, but you get greater levels of savings, you get less spending, and then you get less economic growth. Um, and, you know, and just one other little tidbit, I mean, you look at, uh, the housing market, right, um, has certainly picked up with rates uh, being quite low. Um, but we see, you know, through these mortgage applications index, you know, kind of over the years, anytime you've gotten a a quote unquote spike in market rates, you tend to have seen a slowdown, if if not an outright decline. Well, certainly an outright decline in in some of these mortgage applications, and it leaves you wondering whether uh, market rates creep up there with with uh, you know, policy rates, if the housing market can continue to, to hold up the way it has been. So I think there's some things to still be um, 
alert to um, and not just to be so complacent about this idea that, yeah, all right, we're finally getting it over with, you know, hip, hip, hooray. Um, you know, I'm not in the camp necessarily that that's willing to accept that, um, you know, we're off to the races here now that the, the Fed is raising interest rates. Okay. With that said, um, China's going to be a big story in 2016 because it's been a story of slowdown in 2015. Uh, or financial engineering, people not trusting what they're seeing, people doubting what they're... What do you think the story for 2016 will be for China? I think, you know, one of the, the main narratives there will we'll try to be to uh, to redirect, right? Um, and what I mean by that is I think you start hearing more and more uh, attention given to the services side of the Chinese economy versus the manufacturing side of the Chinese economy. Okay. Um, you know, policymakers there are busy trying to effect a transition where they are, you know, less dependent on export growth and, and manufacturing output, uh, and and having their economy driven more by consumer spending uh, and the like, and, and the services industries. So I wouldn't be surprised at all uh, if if you see, say, a stabilization in the manufacturing sector and then a, a real strong emphasis put on the uh, growth that continues to be seen on the services side as as an encouraging sign. A lot of the stuff that I'm reading says that Europe was two to four years behind the United States as far as recognizing kind of a deflationary period, kind of uh, less economic activity, some numbers on GDP that were not uh, growthy. Uh, so they've started stimulating. Stimulating the United States six years ago, seven years ago, really, really helped the stock market. Should we correlate the two? Should we say what was good for the U.S. should be good for the next couple of years for Europe? Um, you know, I, I, under the uh, market logic that has existed for the last, you know, uh, six years or so, uh, yeah, it makes some sense. Um, but, it, okay. you know, at the end of the day, though, you're also seeing better earnings growth out of Europe, too. Um, and that's probably the more important consideration, but would not be surprised at all to see the European markets hold up better, uh, relatively speaking, than the U.S. market, only because you still have a central bank that's going to be extremely accommodative there and because you're getting stronger levels of, of earnings growth. Um, I might point out, just kind of on a related note, I think the European Central Bank was also ahead of the Fed in raising or trying to raise interest rates, uh, and we saw that that didn't turn out so great. Uh, they had to backtrack on that. Um, so hopefully the Fed uh, doesn't find itself in a similar position, but uh, you just don't know. Speaking with Patrick O'Hara, Patrick here, Chief Market Analyst with Briefing.com. Tell us a little bit about what you do day by day and, and what your columns contain for us. Sure. Well, uh, I'm kind of a big-picture guy, right? So I look at things from a macro perspective, which then uh, leads me to uh, – essentially dive in and look at a lot of the economic data, uh, the trends that we're seeing there, and, and try to uh, impart what that means for our, our readers and subscribers who have both a trading orientation and a longer-term investment orientation. Um, so that's why, uh, you know, I tend to uh, look I look and talk more about, you know, the fundamentals of the market, that being earnings growth and interest rates and inflation, uh, and try to um, essentially, you know, distill for people what, what all that means as it relates to how they're going to be thinking about um, making moves within their portfolio, whether they have a short-term orientation or a long-term orientation. 
And your columns that you put together, you do my favorite one, uh, page one, every morning I start with it. But you also do some um, kind of bigger picture, like you said, mm-hmm. longer-term focus themes, which I really enjoy those. Well, well, thank you. Yeah, the, the big picture column um, is something I, I really enjoy doing because um, it just kind of gives you a, a chance to step outside of the uh, instant analysis that we're having to do being a live market analysis company um, and kind of just to, to sit there and really think a little bit more about some of these big picture drivers um, uh, as they relate to the capital markets. Um, so those pieces I write tend to be a little bit longer. The page one perspective is a shorter brief in the morning that comes out before the market opens, just kind of giving an overview of those factors that are, gonna, are expected to drive the market that day and, and also relay some of the information that's driven some of the market trends um, of late. But, uh, but the big picture, yeah, is one of my favorites as well. Anything else that you're working on right now, Mr. O'Hare, that you think we should be uh, focusing in on? Well, uh, you know, one of the things I'm going to be uh, working on as it relates to that big picture either this week or the, or the following week is a um, what I call some an unconventional wisdom and just basically doing a, uh, a challenging thought piece, if you will, about Fed policy next year. The consensus view is that they are going to be gradual and they won't have some expedited tightening, but I'm going to present some ideas that, you know, might challenge that thought process and, the, you know, getting people to think, well, what if uh, things unfold in a way that the Fed has to raise uh, at a faster pace than a lot of people are thinking right now. It's not my baseline case. I'm just going to present it as some food for thought uh, that people should not be uh, so willing to uh, to overlook, really, at this point, as they seem to be. Not putting it on the record, but 2016, uh, any expectations, or do, do you kind of let it unfold and what happens happens? Yeah, well, you know, I, I look being looking at things from a fundamental standpoint. I do look at you know what what are underlying earnings going to be right now. The consensus estimate looks for about seven to eight percent growth, but that keeps nudging lower. Actually, um, I think that will probably continue to come down, especially if interest rates do go up. Um, so I'm not really expecting a whole lot really at this point, um, but that uh, view is going to be subject to change based on the unfolding fundamental picture and specifically what goes on with uh, with earnings growth in 2016. Thank you very much. It's Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst with Briefing.com. I always enjoy his segments, his insights, the efforts that he puts into this uh, to come across as so well-spoken and so insightful and telling you everything that he can throw out there for you, I think is terribly useful. And I appreciate him and briefing.com being available for the audience. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Don't be shy. If you have questions, drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air.
You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. Welcome in, Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black. Cyber Monday was the biggest online shopping day in history. How many billion do you think we spent? Two billion, three billion, three and a half billion, or over four billion dollars? I'll give you a second to think about it. How much money was spent on Cyber Monday in the United States? Two billion, three billion, three and a half billion, or over four billion dollars? Okay, contestants, I need your answer. Oh, I'm sorry, four billion, over four billion was wrong. Two billion, too low, too low, wrong guess again. Shoppers spent 2.98 billion, let's just call it three billion, on Cyber Monday, which was 12% more than 2014, and the biggest online shopping day ever! Anyone can rig it so I can get on prices right. I will be your best friend forever. I will pretend to be a cat and clean you with my tongue. I will do that for you. If you get me on prices right, I will be your best friend forever. That is not appropriate behavior, okay? <laughs> oh, come on. I got a cat-like tongue. It just gets the bugs and hair off you. Which... Okay, I'll drop it right there. So Shopper spent $2.98 billion on Cyber Monday. That's not bad. 13% of products' views yielded an out-of-stock purchase. Twice the normal amount. Star Wars toys and video game bundles. They were obviously pretty big. Speaking of Star Wars, are you excited yet? I'll give you another second to listen to The Empire. Let's hope the movie isn't just awful. The unprecedented advanced ticket sales. The unprecedented promotional blitz that has ranged from a trailer on Monday Night Football. Um, Very lowbrow. The Force Awakens has established itself as the most hotly anticipated movie in years. People bought a record amount of pre-sale tickets. Isn't that crazy? Like... Remember when movies were like, yeah, what do you do? It's Friday night. What do you want to do? Let's take a look at the movies. Let's go. You'd figure out what you're going to see kind of like that moment. According to some new research out there, Disney's financial situation is stronger than observers think, given the drop in ESPN subscribers. Uh, That has a lot of people concerned. But the domestic box office is a little less robust. So Hollywood needs Star Wars success even more than Disney does. The Martian... It earned over $200 million since its October debut. Um, you had some better-than-expected windfalls, home runs, knockouts from Creed in the Peanuts movie. Fourth-quarter box office results, though, are down 5.8%. Hollywood needs Star Wars. And, you know, I'm, I don't do a show where I'm telling you to go out and buy stocks or sell stocks. I'm not your best friend. I'm not, you know... Here's my app that's going to tell you how to get rich. I'm going to say, look how to get rich. Take a look back 30, 40 years ago when you were a little kid. Uh, let's just go back to everyone's childhood and remember your favorite movies. Was it Old Yeller? I'm pretty sure that was Disney. I might be wrong. Was it a Nemo film? 
in my 30s, I went on a date with a woman who ended the night with, let's go in and watch Finding Nemo. I'm like, is that code for... And she just wanted to watch Finding Nemo. No, no, no. It wasn't nothing sexy. She just wanted to watch Finding Nemo. And I was like, about 20 minutes in, I'm like, I'm out of here. Um, Dory the Talking Fish doesn't do it for me. But Pixar's going to come out with another, you know, Finding Nemo. I think it's going to be called Finding Dory or something like that. Um, I don't know how Pixar did with the whole bad dinosaur. Or was it the good dinosaur? Good dinosaur. I heard it's pretty scary. Um, but eh, it's not for me. Anyway, over in the world of Disneyland, it's a world of um, not to be confused with a theme park at Disneyland, but over in the world of the land of Disney, Wall Street analysts have been a flutter ever since Bob Iger indicated in August that there may be an impending acceleration in cord cutting. People are a little freaked out because ultimately we pay like six dollars of every cable subscription to ESPN and. Let's say you're the frumpy dumpy, the girl who knits sweaters, or you know the guy who wears galoshes year round. Um, people don't want to watch ESPN; they shouldn't be paying for it. Isn't that like kind of a basic American tenet? You get what you pay for, and people don't really care. Some people don't. Disney's full year revenue was up seven percent year over year, fifty two point five billion dollars. Uh, fiscal 2014 presented a difficult comparison for the company, the studio. They had big performances last year. Uh, big Hero 6, Inside Out, which, no, that's this year, that compared favorably to last year, but the prior releases of, like, Frozen. Uh, so you can kind of see how that plays into it. But with a Disney, you look at it as so much more. You look at it as, like, uh, Star Wars. You look at it as superheroes. You look at it as, you know, uh, Pixar. You look at it as theme parks. They're not hurting. They're not hurting for attendance at this point in time. Disney will happily take the money that's, you know, sure to come pounding in, rolling in, like BB-8 for the Star Wars. The Force Awakens. Have you heard it's coming out? You might have seen one commercial and have been waiting for weeks to see another one. December 17. Woo-hoo, money's going to come pouring in. But Disney doesn't even need it. That's how amazingly strong they are. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Money, investing, and more. Idea of... Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.